Um, so as a church, uh, we have a vision this year in 2018 uh, following up on 10,000 prayer requests. And uh, I've shared that with you over the course of the last few weeks. We're going to talk about it multiple times throughout the year. And uh, one of the tools that we've provided for you is... Um, <laughs> uh, no, I have this one, but this is not mine because I can't find mine. Um, no, just kidding. Mine's in my truck. Um, but, uh, but we have this provided this tool. <laughs> oh, Sarah. Um, this tool for you to keep up with your prayer requests. And so, uh, so it's, it's just a tool that we're going to use this year. I encourage you to take advantage of that, to use it. I've had so many cool reports from, from many of you saying, that uh, you've been using it and it's helped you to be more aware of the needs of the people that are around you and caring for those that are around you. And I found it personally, it's just a really great way of just reminding myself of the needs that I need to pray for. And here's the thing about prayer. It can get overwhelming and this message is not on prayer, but I do want to tell you one thing. Sometimes praying for these things, you know, conversation with God, sometimes it's a, uh, it's a brief conversation. You know, sometimes it's like a handshake and other times it's like a, a, a meeting, you know, a, co- a sharing of a coffee. So there's times you pray for these things briefly and other times you pray for different things a little more long. So just give, be gracious to yourself if you're feeling overwhelmed by it. Um, and so you may be new to this church and go, what's this pr- church about? Hey, this church is about inviting busy people to experience the light, peace of life with Jesus Christ. And we care about people. And uh, we care about not just the people that are a part of our church, but the people in this community. And one way that we're pr- caring for people practically this year is in this uh, ministry of prayer. So I'd encourage you to, to do it. Uh, one thing that I am certain <coughs> is happening this, uh, in this season where you're, you're being more mindful of the needs of those that are around you so you can get prayers written down and be praying for them, is that you're talking to people that do not share your faith if you're a Christian, right? And not everybody in here is a, is a Christian yet, and, uh, and that's, that's okay. You know, we want you to feel welcome, and, and so you're going to kind of listen to this and process it and hear it from, from a perspective maybe different than mine. But, but the reality is, for those of you that are being mindful of the needs of others and beginning to write down this prayer request, you're going to meet people who do not share your faith. And, um, you, you know, uh, I had something incredible happen about 23 seconds after the <laughs> new year, and I began to pray that God would help me and understand his heart for the world. I got a call from a pastor friend of mine who invited me to this event called My Brother's Keeper. And it was an event where they were inviting seven Christian pastors, seven Muslim imams, which are the religious leaders in uh, Islam, and then seven uh, Jewish rabbis, which sounds like a joke, right? There's a pastors and imams and rabbis that walk into a bar. And um, actually, the imams would not walk into the bar. But anyway, but the pastors would, unless they're Baptists. Or they were alone. But anyway, okay. So, so, so these seven imams, these seven uh, pastors, evangelical pastors, and these seven uh, rabbis, we went for two days to um, uh, Camp Allen, and we had a, 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 some meetings together, okay? And I, I, it was so interesting to me uh, to be there. And here's a picture of it, actually. So here's, here's me eating a meal, and, uh, which is, you know, obviously, I'm eating a meal. And, uh, and I want to tell you something about it. So these guys here on the edges, this guy actually is the third rabbi, the, the third guy down rabbi at the, um, at the synagogue that's over by Rice University. It's called Emmanuel L., I believe is what it's called. And uh, he, was a, he was a cool guy. 
And uh, this guy is kind of like a, a big rabbi. I don't know where he is. I won't fake it. Um, and then the, the guys, so this guy over here is, is in Pearland. He's a Muslim imam. He's actually um, from Puerto Rico, and he converted to Islam some years ago. He used to be a gangbanger and drug dealer in New York, but now he's a Muslim imam. Very interesting. And sometimes he teaches at the River Oaks uh, Islamic Center, which is very near here. This gentleman up here um, is a, has, uh, he's from Turkey, and so his, his mosque is Turkish. And so, and this guy right next to me to my right is a mid-twenties gentleman, and uh, he, interesting, he, he as a child was selected at five years old for a program in Islam where he was going to memorize the entire Quran. And so that's what he did for school. His, and so I was sitting next to him, and I was like, you know, so you memorized the entire Quran? I was like, come on, be serious. Do you, do you really, like right now, do you have the entire Quran memorized? He said, I do. And uh, I was like, wow, I can't even remember the second point to my sermon I'm standing in front of. You know, like, that's pretty impressive, man. And so we spent a couple of days talking, and at one point, uh, I was sitting uh, with these two guys right here, just the three of us. So you did have a pastor, a rabbi, and an imam sitting together, and we were sharing stories about our lives and our calling to, to, to faith and our calling to leadership. And it was, it was, to me, so surreal because here I am, a pastor in a church who believes, because God's word says it, that these guys who have never repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, will go to hell when they die. They're not reconciled to God. They're actually enemies of God, according to the Scriptures. Here I am sitting with them, sharing meals with them. And you know what? The imam believes that I'll go to hell when I die because I do not adhere to the teachings of the Quran. And the Jewish rabbi, he's not even sure a hell exists. And he doesn't really care about Jesus. Jesus is kind of an annoyance to, <laughs> to him. You know, the Christians have co-opted the Jewish faith in his mind. And so here I am in this event that was, you may have heard the term interfaith. And so this wasn't interfaith. Interfaith is like, let's minimize our differences, which is the pressure all of us feel, right? When we're, when we're engaging in, in uh, conversations and deeper relationships with people, let's minimize our differences. It wasn't like that. It was multi-faith, where we say, hey, we do have some major theological differences in what we believe is true, and we need to acknowledge those and discuss those and talk about those, but we can learn to love one another in spite of those. And so there was a lot of tension in my mind, and of course, the Jewish guys kept bringing up, well, here we are sitting next to these evangelical pastors, and we know that they'll always try to convert us. And they almost wanted us to say, no, we're not going to try to. But for the Christian faith, we read the scriptures. And Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. And so there is, for us, a a real seriousness placed on this idea that we have a faith in Christ that needs to be shared. And... um, and so, so as, we're, as we're there and we're thinking, I began to wonder, as I certainly am praying for these guys, and we have plans to continue to meet, and we may even try to, to I would love to have one of these guys come and, and, uh, and, and you to meet him and, um, and just have that experience of what it's like to love somebody who you do not 
agree with on the most important um, doctrines. But it presses the question, how do we love people that do not think like we do? Because you're praying for people this year. And you're going to have conversations with people that will not believe like you do. And, and, and maybe going further, the question is, how do we change what other people believe about God? Uh, that's a question. And, and so, so for me, like, how can I change the mind of this rabbi or this imam that has spent the majority of his life memorizing the Quran? Or how can you change the mind of the person that works or lives near you? And, and, and here's the answer to this. Here's the answer. You cannot change the mind of another person. You can't. Which is probably incredibly frustrating for those of you that are continuing our idealism. That, that you, you will be able to change another person's mind. But you cannot do it. I, in, in my own strength, cannot change the mind of the rabbi or the imam. Or the agnostic gentleman that's now my friend. The guy who says, well, God may exist, but I don't think he's knowable. Or the atheist friend that's in my life. The guy that says, uh, there is no God. And religion actually destroys humanity, doesn't bring strength and community and love to it. I cannot change their minds. Neither can you. Everybody say it with me. I cannot change other people. Here we go. I cannot change other people. Don't you feel better about yourself? I feel better about myself because that's one thing that I need to regularly remind myself. So with that as a reality, we must acknowledge that there's a couple of options for here. So we say, I cannot change the mind of another person. So here's what we could do. We, then we would go, well, okay, then I don't care. I don't care about the imam, the rabbi, the agnostic, the atheist, the Hindu, the, most, the, the whatever. I don't care about them. So you avoid or ignore them. And you isolate yourself from them. That is a common response Whenever you begin to realize that you cannot change the mind of another person. However, that contradicts the scriptures. You see, the current of the scriptures and the current of the gospel and the current of God working through people is to people who do not yet believe. So it's not an option to say, I can't change the mind of another person, so I'm just going to ignore them. That's not an option. So you say, well, what do I do? First of all, you must believe that only God can change them. When I'm with these uh, imams and these rabbis and atheists and agnostics and the people of different faith, what I have to regularly remind myself is I cannot change it, but you know who can? God. You know how I know that? Because he changed me. Is this thing on? Because, I mean, if I'm there, I'm like, come on, brother. Preach. Preach. Somebody preaching right now. So only God can change them and stir their heart towards belief in Jesus Christ. So what do we do? Well, we look at the Scripture and we say, what did they do? How did they take responsibility for the call of commission, the call of going with the good news, while at the same time acknowledging that they cannot change the mind of other people? Here's the thing. You cannot change other people, but you know who you can change? You. Yourself. And when you are growing, here's the main idea. When you are growing, God may use the change happening in you to influence the belief of another person. Now, hear me. This is in combination with I'm noticing the needs of people that are around me that do not share my faith. I'm loving them. I'm caring for them. I'm having truthful, honest conversations, not minimizing our differences, but talking lovingly about our differences because those are important. But 
really the emphasis for you, the focus for you needs to be on you. That's what we find in the scriptures. Having a great impact on another person requires that you look inwardly. So there's this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul is instructing his protege, Timothy, on how he's going to live out his faith in a context where there are people that do not share his faith. And the issue that Paul is helping Timothy deal with, actually, is that there are false teachers. There are people that are coming in that are teaching something false about who God is, who Jesus is, and how a person can be saved. So this is the problem. So like us, Timothy is trying to figure out, how do I live my faith in such a way that I know I can't change another person's mind, but I hope that God will change their mind. And so, so Paul, Paul tells them. Here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you have your Bible. Verse 20 is the metaphor. Verse 21 interprets the metaphor. And then 22 through 26 spells out specific terms. So here we go. Verse, verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, silver also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So here's the metaphor that it begins with. When it says house, think of your life. And and the metaphor that he uses there is in this house, both uh, vessels of honor and unusable vessels of dishonor. So for the first century Jew, this imagery of a vessel, and think like dish, like bowl, the, a plate. The vessel of honor would be something like a plate that was put out in public and used for public meals. A vessel of dishonor would be something that was dirty, like a trash can. And so in first century Judaism, not just in first century Judaism, they had a really strict uh, system of cleanliness and, and, but, but for the metaphor, there are vessels of honor, there are vessels of dishonor. And what he's saying is this, that, that you must rid your life of unclean areas, and when you do, you will be ready for the good work that God has for you. And the motivation for this kind of house cleaning is that the person will be a vessel for honorable use. You'll be set apart as holy. You'll be useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Here's what I believe about most of you. You want God to use you in the lives of people that do not share your faith. I believe it. I think it's quite intimidating for you. It certainly is for me. And you're wondering, what do I do and how do I live in such a way that though I can't change another person's mind, that God may use it to grant another person repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, this metaphor is helpful because what it says is that when we rid our lives of unclean areas, it readies us for the good work God has for us. And God may use it, he may not, as we'll see later. Now, what's important about this passage that you understand is that the work of cleansing in your life, and all of us need it, has already been, God, been begun by God working in you. So, so sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I begin to think about areas of my life that need to be cleaned out, struggles, I get a little overwhelmed by it. Some of you are here this morning and you're beat up because you've tried to resist that temptation and been unable to do it. And the idea, again, of having to like look that, at that unclean area of your life and to clean it up is like, oh, again... But let me encourage you with this. 
God has begun a work in you. So the cleaning isn't to be done on your own. Somehow the divine and the human intertwine and there's transformation that will happen. There's work that's done both by God and by you. And as this work is being done, the junk is cleaned out of your house, the trash is taken out, and you become the kind of person that God will use to impact other people. It's true. Nobody, and I get it. Some of you here are like, oh, this is annoying. He's talking about the junk in my life, and everybody's got junk in their life. And I I get it. I mean, if you're sitting there a little annoyed right now, it's okay. I'm annoyed at you for being annoyed. All right, so let's... um, so, but, but let's, let's just be honest about it. Because what I know is this, is that you cannot ignore those areas of your life. You can't. You think you can, but you can't because it will impact you. So uh, Paul says to Timothy, in the house there's vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. Let's deal with the vessels of dishonor so that you can be the kind of person that God's going to use. And God has set you apart for holy. He has good works for you. Let's do it. And, and so a person might be reading this, Timothy might be reading this and going, okay, so what does that mean? What am I supposed to do? Well, he goes on in verse 22 and explains the metaphor. So flee youthful passions, he says. Well, what, what is this idea of flee youthful passions? Those three words, man, they're pretty big. It, it at least includes the opposite of the following words, which is righteousness, faith, love, and peace. It, it speaks to our conduct. A youthful passion is the eager pursuit that tends to define immature people. Immature people who cannot fully grasp the consequences of their sin. It is the behavior of a person who thinks only for the immediate enjoyment and ignores the long-term consequences of sin. And so for Timothy, it's going to be primarily in this moment about resisting the youthful urge to argue with the false teachers. And so he says quite a bit about this to Timothy. He's saying, resist or flee that youthful passion, that desire to have these kinds of arguments. And there are other things. We could double-click on this idea of youthful passions and go, okay, what are other things that could be talking about? What, what are youthful passions that are common today? Here's a few I just want to put before you. Sexual promiscuity is a youthful passion. Impulse spending, unethical work practices, and unproductive arguing. Now you're really annoyed. So... Things like, these are the things that are areas that are great temptations for children who, part of growing up under the love and care of their parents, are being taught how to be self-controlled in these areas so that they don't have long-term lasting damage on their lives. But when we as adults uh, allow ourselves to continue with these youthful passions, it becomes a problem. Sexual promiscuity, it, it's, it's this idea of it feels good in my body, so it's okay. Impulse spending says, if I want it, I buy it without considering other debt or how it impacts my ability to be generous. These are the kinds of things that I'm teaching my teenage children about, right? And that's just part of growing up and learning. Or, or here's another one. Unethical, unethical work practice. I will cut corners if no one catches me, it's It's okay. So, so children, teenagers are taught, are, are tempted always to cut corners. And, and they begin to wonder, if I don't get caught, is it okay? And, and part of them being under the authority of their parents, and, and theoretically, is that they're taught that you can't do that. that that's, that's youthfulness. That's immaturity. But when as adults those things continue to be a part of our lives, there's a problem. 
Or how about this one? Unproductive arguing. Unproductive arguing says, I will be understood without caring to understand. That's what kids do. That's what the youths do. And, but when they're, they're a part of our lives as adults, then it creates division, it creates problem. And here's the thing, it's, it's, it's what is within us that keeps us from the, having the greatest impact that we could on people that do not share a faith. I mean, I am, as a tangential thought, I am blown away by how, how foolish people can be on social media in different ways, in terms of putting their ideas out there in an unkind and unloving way. And I think to myself, they will never be heard by someone that does not share their faith because they're so cruel and unkind and argumentative. Foolish. It's a youthful passion. They can't resist the urge for the immediate gratification of putting my idea out there. I'm amazed also at the, the kind of how there's been such a shift in our culture regarding sex and, and really today, inside the church and outside the church, is like, if it feels good in my body, it's okay. Regardless of what the Bible says about marriage and sex and the definition of it. It's like, I, I just, it's a youthful passion. And Paul's saying, flee youthful passions. And, and here's the deal, it's not soft. I mean, if you were to read this and write in your Bible, you would say, flee, exclamation point. Maybe two exclamation points. It's a command, it's imperative in the Greek verb tense. Flee youthful passions. Why? Because this is the trash that keeps us from being honorable vessels God wants us to use. I mean, no one likes to talk about these things, but it's reality. And so we flee youthful passions and we pursue something else. We pursue righteousness. What is righteousness? What we obey God with right conduct. You say it's hard. Well, sure. We pursue faith, being faithful. We pursue love. We pursue being peacemakers. You know, for me, what would have been quite easy is to say no to this invitation to go to this event. Because there's a lot about being there and that creates tension in me. I mean, I want people that do not know Jesus to come to know Christ. But there's a lot about being there that creates tension in me. But I know this, that God has called me in Christ to be a peacemaker and to show love and to be faithful. And so I had an opportunity. I was faithful with it. And I, I don't know what's going to turn of it. But I, I, I believe that if, I, if we flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith and loving one another, as Paul's telling Timothy, that God will continue to make us the kind of vessels that are for honorable use. If you leave the trash in your life, youthful passions quarreling, People will not be able to see your measure of righteousness, faith, and love, which is the most beautiful thing about those of you that follow Christ. Rather than being a vessel for honor, you'll be a vessel for dishonor, and your life will stink. You don't want to be the kind of Christian that just stinks at representing God. Life is too short for that. So I imagine that Timothy wanted to change these other people. But when Paul tells Timothy what to do in the context where there are people that do not share his faith in the way that he understands it, he says, Timothy, there's some work that needs to be done in you. Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness. Start there. And then in verse 26, we read this 
beautiful verse that says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. And and it doesn't say if you clean up your house and that God's going to always, or he has to use your life to impact others, but he might. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. That's the hope that we have. The focus for us needs to be on our own lives while on the journey of loving people who do not share a faith and building relationships with people who do not share a faith. We don't ignore them. We don't avoid them. But the mind or the transformation that we need to focus on is ourselves, right? To God be the glory. What a responsibility we have in Christian living. When the trash is regularly being taken out of our house, God may use us to save others from utter destruction. So what trash is in your life? What is it? Maybe it was one of the things I mentioned, or maybe it was, maybe there's something else that God has brought to your mind. You say, well, what do I do with it? There's this really beautiful way about God that um, he knows already. And you get to what's called repent, which is, God, um, I know that there's this trash in my life. The trash in my life is apathy. The trash in my life is, is greed. Or the trash in my life is um, sexual sin. Or the trash in my life is this. And I know it's keeping me from being the kind of person that, that you would use as an honorable vessel and, and maybe even grant to others repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And so if you're here and you're like, oh, man, I see that and it feels heavy and I, I find yourself kind of shying away from God, don't do it because, you know, the, the Scripture is quite clear. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And for those of you that are not of the faith, the, the Scripture is quite clear that all have sinned and fallen short, short of the glory of God. And God will grant you forgiveness through Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. Just with your head bowed, I hope I've challenged you today. It would be unloving for me to stand before you and, and not talk about the harder things. And I know it's hard to hear words that, that provoke within us an awareness that we're in need of cleaning. And so... Um, Today would be a really wonderful day if you were honest with God. For those of you that are not yet followers of Christ, do you know God loves you? He, he sent His only begotten Son to die for you. So repent of your sin. In other words, ask God to forgive your sin and turn, turn towards God. It's a very simple kind of exchange that happens in your heart with profound, eternal consequences. Lord God Almighty, as we, as we hear the kids coming into the room for this response time, may we all come to you with a childlike faith. 
I pray, God, that our hearts would be stirred with whatever you are working in us. God, there are some here that need to repent. I'm I'm there, God. There's some areas of my life that have come to mind. There are some here that need to be encouraged, and I pray you do that. Maybe they would be encouraged in praying for themselves or asking someone to pray for them, God. And God, for those that are here that are in Christ, we take the Lord's Supper as a way of remembering the cross and also looking forward to the return of Jesus. So God, now we respond. Do what you do. We love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.